Welcome to the Russian Rulers History Podcast, Episode 106. Gorbachev Joins the Party Last time, we recounted Gorbachev's early years through his eyes, using his memoirs to give us an insight into his personality. But before we continue with our story, I'd like to make sure that everyone knows about my new blog site, www.russianrulershistory.com which is already rich with content about famous events and people in Russian history. It also has a place to make donations to help pay for the expenses of putting on this podcast, which are considerable. But I want to really thank Eric for making the first donation. Very much appreciated. Let's get back to the podcast. Continuing on, Gorbachev relates his growing burden of responsibility in the Stavropol Komsomol in the 1950s. Due to Khrushchev's move away from Stalin's version of control of all independent thought, Gorbachev remembers how he and Professor Larian Rudenko founded a club to discuss issues within society, something that would have been unheard of under Stalin. The club became wildly successful. The youth of the area became engaged, but there were still some major problems that needed to be addressed one of which was boredom that gripped the young members of society, not in the Komsomol. Quote, alcoholism, hooliganism, and crime were rampant in the Stavropol Krai, as well as throughout most of the Soviet Union. The reason for the problem was the lack of work available. Now, if you listen to the Communist Party official line, there was no unemployment. But the reality was, there were limited jobs available, and there were no governmental agencies to help out the unemployed because it frankly didn't exist in their eyes. So this left it up to Gorbachev and his Komsomol comrades. His Communist Party membership allowed him to make the case for the youth of the area. He also created the first OKO, or Operative Komsomol Unit, to help straighten out the hooligans and gangs. These groups acted kind of like a local militia. At first, they kind of got a little out of hand, but eventually they turned into an effective movement. Now, on the day after his wife Riza's 25th birthday, she gave birth to their only daughter, Irina. Because of their living conditions, things were very difficult for the Gorbachevs. They had to get water from a pump outside, where the toilet was as well. Now, hearing how tough things were, they got help from his comrades, who got them in a better communal apartment, where they stayed for three years. As Gorbachev writes about the place, quote, I remember those years very well. Our communal apartment was shared by a welder, a retired colonel, a mechanic working in a garment factory, and their families, an alcoholic bachelor with his mother, and four single women. A unique world where frustration and aggressiveness caused by the crowded and ill-equipped quarters coexisted with heartfelt helpfulness. It was a peculiar form of collectivism, if you like. People made friends, quarreled, made up, celebrated anniversaries and feast days together, and played dominoes in the evenings. By March 1961, Gorbachev was made first secretary of the Stavropol Komsomol Krai, and with it came more and more responsibility. He recalls how the first secretary of the Communist Party, 
Manny tried to work with and had to work with Ivan Kanonovich Lebedev was pretty much a yes man following whatever directives he received from Moscow, no matter how wrong it was. One incident Gorbachev recalled, quote, in 1956 we were pressured by Moscow to introduce two-stage harvest, harvesting methods in Stavropol Krai, moving the crops first, then collecting and threshing during the second stage. It was a good way to harvest in a dry season, but that year we had a rainy summer. And yet, defying all common sense, the specialists and mechanics were forced to apply this method. Lebedev would not accept any arguments for selective use of the new method, and as a result, many lost their jobs. And yet, no one was held responsible for the consequences of this action, which resulted in hundreds of thousands of acres of crops rotting in the fields. Another example of the blind following the party leaders was when Khrushchev went on his meat and milk kick to try to catch up to the U.S., which of course led to disaster. As Mikhail Sergeyevich writes, quote, the Ryazan secretary, Larionov, distinguished himself particularly during this campaign. In one year, 1959, Ryazan Oblast fulfilled the three-year plan for meat production, while Stavropol fulfilled the plan for two and a half years. But at what a cost! Flocks of sheep, oxen, and horses were butchered, and the peasants' small holdings completely devastated. Larionov, upon being caught by his deception, committed suicide, and Lebedev was dismissed in 1960. But the effect of the meat and milk debacle hurt the peasants for decades to come, as well as the entire country. Gorbachev next recounts his attendance at the 22nd Party Congress in October 1961. It was the Congress where the harshest criticisms of Stalin and his cult of personality were made. It was also here that the vote to remove Stalin's coffin from Lenin's mausoleum to be reparried near the Kremlin wall was made. Mikhail Sergeyevich was somewhat disappointed in the Congress, as it was mostly about heaping praise on Khrushchev and little on fixing the problems faced by the people. He remembers his feelings thusly, quote, What irritated me most was the fact that Khrushchev seemed to enjoy listening to these eulogies. It reminded me of something painfully familiar. And how did the delegates react? We applauded, although many of us felt ill at ease. From here, Gorbachev begins to dissect Khrushchev's reign, criticizing his inconsistencies while praising his attempt at reform. He acknowledges the uphill fight Khrushchev was up against as the party was deeply entrenched, which he tried to modernize and, quote, reduce its overall monopoly. Try as he could, Khrushchev was ultimately unsuccessful due to the resistance to change. He also noted how unpopular Khrushchev was, how he was getting with the people, just the common folk. He cites the disastrous 1961 currency reform, the poor harvest of 1963, and of course, the meat and milk debacle. Nikita's removal in October of 1964 while being justified as for the good of the people, was anything but. It was, as Gorbachev puts it, quote, first and foremost, the desire of the party generals and officers to cling to power. 
From here, Gorbachev recounts his move from first secretary of the Stavropol Komsomol to his new position as the Krai Committee representative for the Stavropol Territorial Department as a member of the Communist Party. His transfer was at the request of his soon-to-be mentor, Fyodor Davidovich Kulakov. Now, this Kulakov was truly a young man for the position that he took, as he was only 42 when he took over as the first secretary of the party in Stavropol. Gorbachev's job was his life, and he plunged head-on into it. By January 1, 1963, he was head of the Department of Party Organs. The job of this department was primarily to appoint people into positions of power, ranging from heads of the Kulhoz to heads of industry. Because of this, Gorbachev and Kulikov became very close, working side by side. In September of 1966, Gorbachev was made first secretary of the Stavropol City Committee. While the job was a bit of a rung below his previous one, he was happy with it. And he was happy with it because it pointed out to him more of the problems that beset his country. The Kasigan reforms were sweeping the nation, but widespread shortages of funds and labor hurt the reforms. But Gorbachev plowed through it and made do. He was really successful in helping with numerous building projects throughout the city, including finally paving the streets and building a technical university. During the summer of 1968, right before a planned vacation which he and Ariza desperately needed, he was told he could not leave pending a plenum meeting. He pleaded with his boss, saying, I need this vacation. I'll agree to anything the plenum says. But they said, no, you must stay. But by this time, it wasn't Kulikov who was the first secretary. Leonid Nikolaevich Yefremov had replaced Kulikov as first secretary. The relationship, though, between Gorbachev and Yefremov was not a good one. So what transpired baffled Mikhail. He was informed that he was unanimously voted to be second secretary of the Stavropol party. The minutes of the meeting went something like this, quote, Having thoroughly considered the question and having consulted the Central Committee, guided by the Leninist principle of combining young and old cadres, we nominate Mikhail Sergeyevich Gorbachev as second secretary of the Krai Committee. While this was happening, the reformist movement was grinding to a halt thanks to Leonid Brezhnev winning the power struggle over Podgorny and Kasigin. Then days after becoming second secretary, Gorbachev received news of the military invasion of Czechoslovakia. Times were once again changing. As Mikhail Sergeyevich put it, quote, it was the beginning of the period of stagnation. In the spring of 1970, Yefremov was recalled to Moscow, which then in turn caused Gorbachev to be elevated to first secretary. But the decision was still entirely up to the general secretary, Brezhnev. But he knew quickly that Gorbachev was the man after meeting with him at his office at Staraya Ploshad, an office that would be Mikhail's office some 15 years later. Getting to work, Gorbachev knew he was in for a tough time, especially agriculturally, as 52 out of the previous 100 years were drought years in Stavropol, and poor harvests occurred in 75 out of the past 100 years. 
something had to be done to irrigate the fields. Gorbachev's recommendation was the construction of, quote, a 480-kilometer-long canal stretching from the Prikuban area up to the Kuban and further on to the Kalmyk steppe. He eventually was able to get a meeting with Brezhnev, who then took that idea and proposed the concept at a Politburo meeting and later passed by the Central Committee on January 7, 1971. Thousands of Komsomol youth came to Stavropol to begin working on the project. Unfortunately, it wasn't built fast enough, as 1975 and 1976 were terrible drought years, and it was very rare that two years in a row would see drought. A proposal to slaughter farm animals throughout the region was made by Kulakov. This was rejected by Gorbachev, who made the following counterproposal to the people. Quote, you all know we are facing disaster. We were born and raised on this land and know how tricky and unpredictable the situation here may be sometimes. Therefore, I shan't dwell on it. Our crops are lost on 50% of the territory, but elsewhere the situation is normal. Now let's get our heads together and see how we can save our cattle and our farms. I suggest you drive some of the meat cattle to the mountain passes. Let the animals fatten up there, and then they can be slaughtered. The whole population in the cry, everybody, without exception, must start immediately to prepare the fodder. We'll parcel out the fodder areas in the disaster-free zones to the steppe population. There is no other way. Anything else spells disaster. We're responsible for our cry, and I am sure that the country will help us. Despite the drought, Gorbachev was able to save the crops through the concerted effort of the people of the Stavropol Krai. But in 1976, drought hit again, and Gorbachev went to work. He championed the use of fallow land. This is land that had not been cultivated, and also dry farming, a technique to grow crops suited to low moisture. Kulikov was against it, but after some debate, Brezhnev called and told Gorbachev the following, quote, Mikhail Sergeyevich, I've read your paper. I've given it some thought and I've consulted people. I remember Kazakhstan only too well. At that time, way back, Tarenti Maltsev warned me we wouldn't pull through without the use of fallow. Go ahead with your plan. I'll back you. Yet again, Gorbachev succeeded beyond expectations. Then, in 1977, he delivered a bumper crop, way beyond what was thought possible. Then, in 1978, the Great Stavropol Canal reached its destination. No longer would drought affect production. Problem after problem was solved by Gorbachev, which made him wonder how his country could run efficiently be, be, by being so dependent on just one person in each region. He was wearing down, so he knew men of lesser resolve would let things go if pushed sufficiently. Gorbachev constantly had to fight the apparatchiks and his higher-ups whenever he wanted to try something different. He asked, quote, How was it, I asked myself, that any initiative which patently served the interests of society was immediately viewed with suspicion and even with overt hostility? Why was our system so unresponsible to renewal 
and innovation. While men like Andropov, Kosygin, Kulakov, and of course Brezhnev could not help notice Gorbachev's achievements, he had made many enemies on his way up the ladder. Success made him stand out, which made those who were not so successful jealous. One N.A. Shesheklikov, whom Gorbachev had stepped on once, said to an associate, That man must be destroyed. Gorbachev also got to do something few people in the USSR got to do, and that was travel. This opened his eyes as to how the rest of Europe lived, and how despised the Soviets were in Eastern Europe. While visiting Western Europe, though, he was surprised by the lack of anti-Soviet feelings. His eyes were opening to a different view of the world than what was told to him. Now, 47, Gorbachev left his position in Stavropol to head to Moscow as a member of the Central Committee. It was a bittersweet departure, as he and Ryza loved the Stavropol region. Now, it is here that we stop as next week, yes, I will be doing another regular podcast to complete Mikhail Gorbachev's rise to the top through his own words. So, preparing the script for that already. I hope you, uh, you know, of course, enjoyed today's podcast. Now, don't forget the new blog site at www.russianrulershistory.com or join us on our Facebook group at Russian Rulers History Podcast, where, as always, you can ask a question, leave a comment, or make a suggestion. And as always, Das Vidania i Spasiba Bolshoya.